All right, all right. It's time for another episode of the Chief Stone Podcast. My name is Farzing Kasugi, and your host of the podcast. Thank you all for taking the time to download and listen to this episode. Recapping a Chiefs preseason win, uh, you know, if you're part of the, hey, it's just a preseason crowd, or if you'll take all the positive comments, well, then take it for what you will. The Kansas City Chiefs, uh, kind of an up and down game, but for the most part, we saw more encouraging things this time around in the second preseason game compared to the first, so uh, definitely some good things to talk about in this game after the Chiefs pick up a win against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, but also some negative things, and we will get into all of that in just a moment. Before we start things off here, I want to thank all of you guys. Uh, the interaction so far the past couple of weeks, of course, with the preseason games underway, training camp, of course, got underway a couple of weeks ago. All of that has been great, and the interaction just has gotten very high on social media, especially on the Facebook page, which is a lot easier for uh, for listeners to interact with other listeners uh, of the podcast or anyone that just likes the page. So always great to see that, and I appreciate all of you guys doing so. If you haven't participated with us before on social media and you want to do so, hey, never too late to do so. You can do so. Uh, click like on Facebook.com slash Farzine That is my Facebook page. Hit the like button. Follow me on Facebook. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Plus email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Hit the subscribe button on iTunes and Google Play. You can also hit the share button to spread the word and let your friends know about the Chief Zone podcast. We'll touch on Kansas City's 28-14 win over the Atlanta Falcons, the positives and negatives from that game. Also, one former Chief is now eligible to enter the Pro Football Hall of Fame, part of the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame induction class, or nominee at least. Uh, I'll tell you who that is and what they accomplished during their time in Kansas City. And then we'll bring our closing segments back. It's been a couple of episodes since we've last done that. Uh, some complaints about rule changes, uh, a fight on the gridiron and fights outside of the gridiron, a food fight that is, a lot of things to talk about. Plus, I also want to touch on something Todd Haley did uh, last week, some, a comment that he had made that caught a lot of attention from Cleveland Browns training camp. Plus, I, I want to touch on the uh, issue going on at Maryland with head coach DJ Durkin and the fact that he's under fire, placed on administrative leave after what happened that led to the death of a player uh, who apparently had died uh, or eventually died due to some of the harsh practices that DJ Durkin was putting his players through at Maryland offseason practices. So we'll touch on that later on during the podcast. But for now, let's let's touch on the second preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons. Immediate takeaway, okay, there were some positives and some negatives. I think there were a little bit more negatives than positives in this one. In fact, I'm going to start with the negatives simply because in chronological order, uh, you know, the way I have all of this listed out, uh, a lot of what we saw early on, not a lot of great things, but eventually things got better as the game went on. So we'll touch on all of that in just a moment. And look, you know, how, I know I keep bringing this up, uh, and I mentioned this the past few episodes, how serious do we take what we see? Because we know that both teams, and, you know, of course the Kansas City Chiefs, they're without a lot of play. Last week they were without Sammy Watkins. Second game in a row, they're without Eric Berry, Anthony Hitchens, and Reggie Ragland. Three really important players for your defense going into 2019 in hopes that this defense will improve. 
and I think they will. But these preseason games, you want to you want to see something positive. And I've said this before, and I'll, and I'll continue to, to keep saying it. Fans love it when they see a big catch made in training camp or in the preseason games uh, or, or some big play, the deep pass to Tyreek Hill that we, that, that, that's been talked about a lot in training camp and, of course, finally just happened in this preseason game. Uh, people love talking about that. But when Patrick Mahomes throws a lot of interceptions, if he's having a bad practice or if someone's not looking too good in a preseason game, it's just a preseason. I mean, that's the initial reaction there. Now, when preseason games actually happen, people forget about what happens, uh, you know, on the practice fields and what happens on the big game, uh, you know, on the televised broadcast. And Chiefs fans haven't been very happy with what we've seen so far from the starting lineups from both teams. Now, again, uh, there are, of course, some some starters that are being held out. Now, it's not just the Chiefs who are holding out a few starters here and there. All 32 teams are doing that in the preseason right now. It's not like... I remember uh, when the Chiefs played the Vikings a few years ago in a preseason game. I want to say it was in 2009. The Chiefs had a uh, 10-0 lead on the Vikings in that game, and that's when the first-string players for both teams were pulled out of the game. And I remember someone, a listener commented and said they were they were thrilled with what they saw. And I thought, okay, well, hold on. Yeah, sure, the Chiefs put up 10 on that Vikings defense, a very good Vikings defense, if you guys remember at the time. Very good against the run. And, of course, they improved against the pass when Jared Allen was traded there, of course, from Kansas City. But I said, hold on a minute. First of all, Jared Allen didn't play in that game. Nor did one of the uh, uh, Williams defensive linemen. I can't remember. I, th- I want to say it was Pat Williams who didn't play. But you've got to consider the fact, yeah, sure, 10 nothing. You, you take that, you learn from it, you move on, you see what you can do from that. But you got to also consider the fact that there are players, key players, who didn't play in that football game. So a lot of fans get too excited sometimes for these games, and some fans get too concerned. Uh Listen, of course, we'll always, and I said this on the last podcast, the hardest thing about this podcast is recapping preseason games because if bad things happen, I mean, look, I've I've got to discuss it. I've got to recap it. I can only talk about what happened on the field and fans will say, well, you're you're coming off too negative. It's just a preseason. Okay, sure, but there's no denying the fact that everyone can be encouraged if they see positive things on the field, of course. Uh, so in this case, so far for the Chiefs in the preseason, uh, your only touchdown from the starting offense was on that deep pass to Tyreek Hill, which was very cool, by the way. I mean, I'm not taking any, anything away from it, uh, but so far with what we've seen from the starters, there is a lot of room for improvement, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I think this Pat Mahomes hype has been set too high that I think people have high expectations right off the bat. Uh, if these two preseason games so far are any indication as to what we should expect from the starters, I think the Chiefs' offense is going to get off to a very slow start, just based on what we've seen so far. And listen, maybe the Chiefs are going to play it very quietly because they don't want to showcase a lot of Mahomes' talents in these preseason games. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, certainly... Certainly can't uh, deny that. I think a lot of coaches, uh, they're definitely holding. And no one's going to open up the playbook and go to their trick plays and reveal all of those in preseason games. Absolutely not. Uh, you may have a little bit of fun with it. You might do a a fake punt that you would never do in a regular season game. But uh, 
it is the preseason. So again, we'll, we'll touch on the negatives and the positives. And you know, you're, uh, <laughs> it feels like I'm doing this every podcast, but here's a typical disclaimer. Take it for what you will, as it is a preseason game. So starting off, I'll start with the negatives, because like I said earlier, I feel like chronologically speaking, uh, it'd be better to start with the negatives, simply because a lot of those happen first, and then the positives happen later on in the game. Uh, let, me, let me just say this, the Chiefs starters did play a majority of the first half, a couple players were pulled here and there, but majority of them did stay on, on the field, whereas the Falcons, they didn't do that, they put their backups in pretty early in the game, uh, after a couple of drives, uh, and the Falcons' second stringers on both sides actually managed to do very well against Kansas City. So if, if we're talking from a Falcons standpoint, you've got to be pretty encouraged with how your your backups did. And listen, if I'm if I'm a fan and I see my backups are playing against starters, I'm pretty excited for that because if your backups do pretty well, I think you've got a lot to to, to be excited about, and you can. Start looking at your 53-man roster that you want to assemble. You you look at your 22 starters and then your 22 backups, and you get pretty excited about who you who you want, want to have as your backups because these are guys that did well against certain starters in preseason games, and maybe they can be key contributors in the regular season. Maybe eventual starters, if they do well or if injuries take place, and you need to call up someone else. So uh, certainly an encouraging sign from Falcon for Falcons fans, not for Chiefs fans necessarily. Uh, they, uh, scored a touchdown on, uh, on the Chiefs at one point, uh, when Matt Schaub was, uh, the quarterback, uh, coming in for Matt Ryan. And then when, uh, the Chiefs, uh, the starting team, they, when they faced the second stringers for the Falcons, Pat Holmes threw a telegraphed interception into double coverage, trying to go after Sammy Watkins there. Uh, but and speaking of Sammy Watkins, he almost had a uh, another pick earlier before that as he was trying to find Sammy Watkins in the end zone. They were not in sync. Trent Green talked about how Sammy Watkins should have moved around a little bit, gotten closer to the uh, to the football instead of just being planted right where he was in the end zone. Uh, and maybe it could have prevented the near interception that would have been really bad for the Chiefs and discouraging considering they were in the red zone at the time, uh, inside the five as a matter of fact. Uh, and speaking of that play that that I'm talking about there, right before that, Mahomes did actually throw a touchdown pass to Kareem Hunt, but was nullified due to a penalty on Mitchell Schwartz. And eventually, a couple of plays later, the Chiefs had to settle for a field goal on that drive. Uh, looking at the defense, uh, boy, uh, not very good. The defense had a hard time stopping the run, allowing 67 yards uh, of just rushing yards, that is. On that first drive, uh, Terrence Coleman, the running back for the Falcons, he had runs of 34 in order, 34, 15, and another 15 on that opening drive, which allowed the Falcons to eventually get into the end zone. Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens, once again, as I mentioned, did not play. And listen, I don't know if I want to live in a world where the 2018 Chiefs defense is playing without Reggie Ragland, Anthony Hitchens, and Eric Berry. None of uh, well. Eric Berry did play in last year's season opener, but that was the only game he played in. Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens were not playing in last year's season opener for the Chiefs. Ragland, uh, of course, was just getting acclimated with the new Chiefs team, and Hitchens was with the Cowboys at the time, actually recovering from an injury at that point in time a year ago. Now all three guys are expected to be key guys to come in. Reggie Ragland, of course, did some good things as he eventually got more playing time with the Chiefs in 2017. But now he's had an entire offseason with the Chiefs, as has Hitchens. 
uh, joining the team through free agency. And of course, Eric Berry recovering and coming back to the Chiefs. These are the three guys that you are really relying on to help this team improve defensively. Kansas City's defense was bad in so many aspects, and it was shocking to a lot of people because when Kansas City's defense started doing really bad, it was Kansas City's offense that shot up and started doing so well that helped the team uh, win 10 games. And you you would like to see that defense that we saw before 2017. I mean, that, that dominant pass rush, the... The plethora of takeaways that this defense was responsible for and also the amount of sacks they got. You want to see that again. Uh, and Trent Green and um, and Carter, and his name is, his full name escapes my mind right now, but uh, Carter Blackburn, that is. Yeah, 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 Carter Blackburn. Uh, they've all talked about Bob Sutton when he was shown on screen a few times how this Chiefs defense over the years, whether they've been good or bad statistically, they have always been a bend don't break defense. And we've seen a couple of times, especially in 2016, we saw the Buccaneers and the Titans do this. Yes, that bend don't break defense, that that's that's fine and all. Uh as the Chiefs, yeah, sure, they were in the low uh or high 20s rather in a lot of statistical team categories, but they were in the middle of the pack last year when it came to points allowed. And usually they're a lot better than that. But you'll take that last year considering how many yards they allowed. Now, this whole bend-don't-break defense, and I was talking about the Titans and the Buccaneers in 2016, those two teams found a way to expose that defense. And you also saw the Steelers do it in the playoffs. I don't think the Steelers did it as well. The Steelers did it well enough to just get field goals and get enough field goals to outscore the Chiefs. So, that rushing attack that... We saw the Steelers used with Le'Veon Bell and what the Titans and the Buccaneers did when they came to Arrowhead a couple of years ago. That can turn your bend-don't-break defense into just flat-out bad news, and you never want that. So listen, I, I really hope that Eric Berry, Reggie Ragland, Anthony Hitchens are all available by the time things go underway for real in September because this defense needs those players they really, really need those guys. They really do. And I don't want to live in a world where the Chiefs are playing without those three guys in 2018. Wrapping up some of the negatives from the Chiefs. David Amerson, second straight game where he does not look good for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that, that's something that, that's kind of becoming a concern, of course. Now, a lot of people on the Facebook page were commenting on David Amerson and they want him to be cut. And my response to all of those people who said that is, who in the world do you want in place of him? Especially considering the fact Steven Nelson suffered a head injury in this game. And listen, with head injuries, everyone has a completely different recovery timetable. Everyone recovers differently from that. You never know how long he'll be out for. Uh, You hope for the best, but you expect the worst with those kinds of things. And maybe he'll be out for some time. Uh, and even if Steven Nelson's on this team, do you really trust Steven Nelson after the year he had last season? He was a good slot cornerback a couple of years ago. Not very good as one of the starting cornerbacks in 2017. And you look at who the Chiefs have behind David Amerson and Kendall Fuller. Who who do you want? Let me Let me pose it this way. How many Chiefs fans can honestly name a cornerback behind Amerson, Fuller, and Nelson. 
Think about that for a second. There aren't a lot of guys, or at least a lot of reliable guys, on this list right now at cornerback. You've got Traymond Smith, the rookie who was drafted by the Chiefs this year. You got Keith Reeser, who's been around this team for a, uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, Will Redmond, Arion Springs, an undrafted free agent. McIntyre Dorland, and a couple of others who I'm not going to name. You get the idea. There are a lot of cornerbacks on this team right now, guys who might not be able to crack the 53-man roster spot, uh, a 53-man roster spot on a lot of NFL teams right now. If any of these guys do make a roster spot, if they're part of a team going into the regular season, it's because they're part of a, a secondary, no disrespect to these players. I know a lot of them want that dream to to have a contract and play for, uh, for, for a team in the regular season, but... If any of these guys make it, it's because they're part of a secondary that ha- that's very thin at the cornerback position, and that's the truth right now with the Kansas City Chiefs. Hence why they have expressed interest in guys such as Bashad Breland and Orlando Skandrick. Now, Bashad Breland, last, and I mentioned this last podcast, last we've heard from him, he was very interested in the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins were interested in him. However, we have not heard anything about these two guys, these two sides uh, as far as any deal being made this weekend, Orlando Skandrick, the last, uh, his name has even been brought up in any significant report, was that he is visiting the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's all we know. Uh, neither of them have signed with the team yet. Both are still free agents. And listen, Kansas City might need one or very desperately would need to sign both of these guys if they can get them at the right price. Very doubtful you can get both of them, but hey, look, if Brett Veach can find a way to do it, then you take it for sure. Uh, But you definitely got to get one of those guys in here for sure because Kansas City right now does not have a lot to work with uh, at that cornerback position behind Amerson and Fuller. So listen, if people want Amerson cut, if they're not happy with what they're seeing from him so far, okay, sure, look, I can respect that. Everyone has, is entitled to their own opinion, sure. But when you want someone to get cut, and I hear this a lot in baseball too, people talk about how they want someone to get sent down to the minors. Okay, well, if you're going to suggest that, then you need to suggest who you want to come up. And a lot of times when you ask fans that, they draw blank and don't really have a response. And when I asked people, you know, who do you want in place of Amerson, people didn't really know what to say about that. So, again, everyone's more than welcome to wish what they want and all, but you've got to make sure that, you know, if you're going to want a guy to, to be gone, take a look at the depth chart. There aren't a lot of viable options there. And that's very dangerous for Kansas City. You're essentially banking on Emerson and Fuller to stay healthy and and listen injuries are a part of sports in a very unforgiving way and you can never assume that you'll be healthy. I mean sure a few teams here and there will have a lot of luck with with injuries. The Chiefs have had that in 2010 and 2013. But uh you can't rely on that each and every single time. You hope for it, but you know it's it, it's bound to happen. Let's switch things up a little bit and talk about some of the positives that we saw in this football game. As a matter of fact, there were actually a lot of uh, encouraging things we saw in this game. A lot more than what we saw last week against the Houston Texans at Arrowhead. Uh, We saw some good things in this one. Pat Mahomes, it took a while for him to get going, but eventually he and Tyreek Hill connected on a 69-yard 
touchdown pass. Uh, Tyree Kill actually burned three defensive backs despite all backups, uh, but went through three defensive backs, uh, caught the pass, and went into the end zone. And listen, I, I, I get there were backups, but going through three defensive backs is no easy task for any receiver. And for Tyree Kill to do that, I think it just shows uh, what he's really capable of and, and you know what else can he do. Even though defenses saw what he had done earlier in the season, uh, I mean, starting in his rookie season, uh, some of the deep pass touchdowns that he caught from Alex Smith, and then last year, even more of that, I, I mean, he became a notable name. Everyone knows he's probably the scariest offensive player in the NFL, probably the best offensive weapon in the NFL, and defenses, they they, they prepare for this guy because they know what to expect from him. They know he's super fast. They know that they're going to double-team him and try to prevent a big play, and defenses still fail to contain him. And even if they do contain him, what, are you going to also double-team Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins? Add, add, add in the fact that Sammy Watkins is now part of this football team. So uh, this is going to be a challenge for a lot of defenses, and you can't double-team Tyreek Hill every single time. You, you may switch things up here and there, and, and that'll open the door for Tyreek Hill to bust open for uh, for a big play like this. So Tyreek Hill, of course, does that. And here's the biggest story regarding that touchdown play. Mahomes threw a very high pass, which was actually noted by Trent Green shortly when it happened. And then a, uh, a uh, statistics company called Next Gen Stats listed all of the highest passes thrown in uh, by quarterbacks in 2017. They mentioned Mahomes' pass went 68.6 yards in the air, higher than any pass from 2017. Okay, now that's great. He has a cannon arm and, and he threw a high pass, but what does that all mean essentially? How does that translate into success in the end? If a guy has a great arm, if he can throw it really high in in the air, is that a, is that a great thing? Is that I mean, does that make it easier for defensive backs to prepare for a deep pass if they can see it coming? The higher it is, uh, there's a lot to go over with that. It depends who you have as your receivers, and in Kansas City's case, I think this is a great thing to have. Cannon arms are great. Obviously, fans love seeing those big plays, those deep bombs. Add in the fact that the Chiefs have a speedster like Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, of course, as well. Uh, but Tyreek Hill, focusing on him for, for right now, uh, he lived off deep pass touchdowns last season. That was his bread and butter. That's how he made his money last season. And I think decision-making will always be a bigger and more important factor than a cannon arm. And decision-making is something Alex Smith had. He was very good at probably the best in the NFL when it comes to decision-making. But he also got criticized for not throwing it deep as much in his career with Kansas City. I also think, however, decision-making requires you to throw it deep. If you see a guy wide open, well, then make the decision to throw it deep uh, and put the ball at the right spot for only your receiver to be able to catch. Alex Smith never did much of that until last year. And he also did that a little bit in 2015 when Andy Reid handed off play calling duties. But we've discussed that before. And that's a topic for another time to, to go into detail with. But for, for right now, 
We saw Mahomes come away with that big deep pass and of course went very high in the air. And let's compare to what happened last year. I, I mentioned the stat from Next Gen Stats. They said Mahomes' pass went 68.6 yards in the air, which was higher than any pass from 2017. Here are the highest passes from last year. Jared Goff, 61.8 yards in the air. And Mahomes was obviously a few yards ahead of that one. Carson Wentz had the second highest pass, 61.2. Deshaun Watson, 60.7. And Jacoby Brissett, 59.9 yards. So it kind of makes you wonder, you, you know, what's the correlation here? Because if you want to talk about these uh, analytics here, these next generation statistics, uh, the pro football focus type of statistics here that you don't see on NFL.com or ESPN.com. And if you want to talk about who had the highest pass, not the longest, the highest, you would immediately think that Tom Brady or Drew Brees would be on this list and they weren't even in the top four. Uh, Top five, if you want to include Mahomes and all of the four players from last season. And listen, I mean, that doesn't mean Jared Goff and Carson Wentz are all bad players. Look, look, Carson Wentz probably could have also led the Eagles to a Super Bowl win. Uh, We'll never know. Uh, The only way we'll know is to see how he does this year. And we'll talk about Carson Wentz later on in the closing segments, by the way. Uh, Listen, I think these are nice things to have. Uh, A lot of times you see certain correlations with certain players over certain statistics, but not all of them are successful quarterbacks. In other words, listen, I know there's a list of a lot of young guys here, Mahomes, Goff, Wentz, Watson, Brissett. So it's it's unfair to say that these guys are not quote-unquote winners because none of these guys have ever won a playoff game before. But at the same time, you have to wonder, you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, I mean, these are guys who have won a Super Bowl before, and they're probably the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I'll throw Phillip Rivers in there, Ben Roethlisberger as well. Uh, why aren't those guys part of this list? Why aren't guys, rising stars like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, why haven't we seen them uh, throw a high pass like this? And I don't know how long this measurement has been in place. I know this is all new to a lot of fans over the past few years. Uh, and I think eventually they'll become public on websites like NFL and ESPN.com. But essentially, what does that mean? Does does that mean it'll help the Chiefs in the long run? And I, again, I think for Kansas City's case, yes, because you have Tyreek Hill on your team. And Tyreek Hill even mentioned he was quoted during training camp saying that Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback he's worked with. In all of his years playing football, because because of his speed, Tyree Kill speed, that is, Pat Mahomes does a great job of placing the football right where he needs to, and that'll allow Tyree Kill to not break strides so much and be able to go full speed, catching that football at the right spot and heading to the end zone. So there's that to consider as well. So let's see if we see that again in the preseason and how that looks this time around. I know Tyree Kill had to slow down a bit to, to make that catch, but still was ahead of those three defensive backs and went to the end zone to give the Chiefs a starting unit its first touchdown of the preseason. And by the way, Tyreek Hill did a hip thrust and was penalized for that. And I think he could have gone without it. However, I didn't realize this until until, uh, Pete Sweeney tweeted this. Tyreek Hill did that hip thrust after a 69-yard touchdown play. Can't make that up. You can't make that up. And, And by the way, if you're... You're part of the younger crowd, and, and you don't know what that means. 
Um, don't ask your parents. Just, just please don't ask your parents. I don't know how you make that trans- transition to this, but we're just going to do it anyway. Uh, going to the second stringers for the Chiefs offense, Chad Henney, who's expected to be the backup quarterback for Kansas City this year. He threw a touchdown pass in this one. Uh, his second straight game throwing a touchdown pass for the Chiefs. Uh, this time to Gary Deiter. Uh, last week he did it to Demarcus Robinson. This time to Deiter. And certainly positive things you're seeing from, from Chad Henney. And you'll take that because, hey, look, what if Mahomes misses a game due to injury or his progression's not going so well? You have to expect the unexpected sometimes. Uh, again, hope for the best, but expect the worst. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you've got a good uh, backup right now in Chad Henney, a guy who has some experience in the NFL, uh, played for the Dolphins, played for the Jaguars, and you, you've got a guy, a guy in him who can come in and, and, and play a little bit if he needs to for a drive or two or maybe even a full game or two. So you've got something good in Chad Henney as your backup quarterback, and it looks like you know you don't know exactly who it's going to be between Matt McGloin and Chase Litton, and those two guys will probably learn who the uh, third quarterback will be between those two in that fourth preseason game. Kendall Fuller, I want to talk about him for just a little bit, uh, who I think has been the only bright spot on the starting defense so far. Another solid game from him uh, for the second straight week. And of course, uh, one of the newcomers on this team, part of that Alex Smith trade coming over to Kansas City and he's done a very good job of limiting receivers, not letting them get get a hand on the football, making plays, breaking up passes. He's been doing that so far in the preseason and certainly have got to like what you are seeing from him and you just got to hope that he can continue that when the Chiefs start playing in the regular season. But so far, a lot of good things from Kendall Fuller so far and I'm very excited to see what he can do for the Chiefs in 2018 as a newcomer. I asked you guys on the Facebook page, who are you guys impressed with the most? A lot of you guys mentioned Ben Nyman, the undrafted rookie out of Iowa. He had five tackles in this game. As a matter of fact, he actually had five tackles as well from the first preseason game against the Texans. This time, uh, in addition to the five tackles, he picked off Kent Bunkart from the Falcons, who's also a rookie, and he ran it back 26 yards for a touchdown to extend Kansas City's lead. Uh, as I mentioned, we didn't see Anthony Hitchens nor Reggie Ragland for the second straight week. So it is important to me that we see who can do really well in this spot. We saw Yukimi Oligwe. He's, he was very active in this game, kind of getting a hand all over whenever the Chiefs uh, were trying to stop the run. So he definitely was very active in this game. Ben Neiman came away with that interception and also had the five tackles for the Chiefs. So uh, you've got a couple of guys who you're seeing some encouraging things from. Uh, on defense, and you hope that they can have key roles for the Chiefs in the regular season. So definitely Ben Neiman making some plays right now, and I think if he can do some things on special teams, come away with a key block or a big tackle on special teams to to limit a return, uh, I think he can guarantee himself a uh, a spot on the roster when the Chiefs and the rest of the NFL teams, uh, the rest of the 31 other teams, uh, when they have to make the roster cut on September the 1st. Let me know your thoughts on everything we discussed here. Facebook.com slash Farzine with Sugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Is there anything that I missed that you thought should have been mentioned on this episode of the podcast? Let me know on social media. Email me as well. Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. One bit of uh, Chiefs news. Chiefs uh, historic news, that is. Uh, before we move on to the closing segments, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced on Twitter a few hours before the game against the Falcons that former Chiefs and Dallas Texans safety Johnny Robinson 
was selected as a uh, senior committee nominee for the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame induction class. Uh, For those uh, younger fans like myself who may not be too familiar with what happened with the Chiefs in the 60s and the 70s, uh, well, here's a bit of a history lesson for you guys. And and I had to look up some of this as well. I'd known about Johnny Robinson and his contributions, uh, but there were a couple of things I did learn when I I did some research on him when uh, I heard this had happened. 12-year player in the AFL and NFL uh, he led the AFL with 10 interceptions in 1966 and had another 10 in 1970, which led the NFL that season. So on two different occasions, he was the league leader in interceptions, having the same number both times in doing so. He was taken in the first round of both the NFL and AFL drafts in 1967 time Pro Bowl or six-time first-team All-AFL Pro, a three-time AFL champion, and also on the AFL all-time team. And of course, a Super Bowl champion winning Super Bowl for helping the Chiefs in actually a big way as he, as well as Willie Lanier and Emmett Thomas, who's of course coaching defensive backs for the Chiefs right now, uh, they each had an interception in that Super Bowl win against the Minnesota Vikings. So he's definitely had a big hand in helping the Chiefs uh, do very well, uh, you know, bringing a lot to the franchise, and also uh, had a big hand in that Super Bowl win against the Minnesota Vikings. So Johnny Robinson, eligible uh, to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame next year. So it would be very cool to see. Uh, It's very hard for these senior committee nominees to to get in. I know Curly Culp was uh, a senior nominee a couple of years ago, didn't get in. But uh, still very cool to see that these guys, at the very least, are being recognized for their efforts and accomplishments. And of course, part of Chiefs history, spent all 12 seasons with the Texans and the Chiefs. Uh, so with one franchise essentially, of, of course, as you, as we all know. Uh, but very good to see Johnny Robinson uh, being recognized for this and is a senior committee nominee for the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame induction class. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Carson Wentz, quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, cleared to participate for 11-on-11 drills at practice doesn't necessarily mean he will play if the season began right now, and maybe he could. I, who knows exactly, but obviously with a couple of weeks left before the regular season, you can take your time on this. Uh, but this does come at a very good time for the Eagles, considering Nick Foles, uh, Nick Foles excuse me, suffered a shoulder injury against the Patriots in the preseason, albeit a minor injury. Uh, but still, uh, I mean, you've got Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, a minor injury, should be back in time for the regular season. You've got two quarterbacks that you can rely on. One who was very close to winning the MVP in the regular season, and another who won the Super Bowl MVP last season. So, I don't know exactly what the Eagles are going to do when it comes to the regular season. I mean, I know they're going to start Carson Wentz and all, but uh, do you just leave Nick Foles out there? I, I mean, you've got to use him to, at some capacity. I think you've got to consider... Uh, having him part of your offense in some way, maybe you let him take a drive or two uh, if Carson Wentz isn't feeling well. However, you know, things go. Uh, because it, it, to have depth at the quarterback position, I mean, there's no such thing as that. There really isn't. And so for that to be a thing for the Eagles, that's a blessing in disguise uh, You know, with that injury that took place. And certainly can go a long way. So good to see Carson Wentz available for the Eagles. And man, I mean, if another injury takes place for either quarterback, well, you've got another one in there, uh, both with MVP 
caliber type of seasons last year. One in the playoffs, one in the regular season. So you can never go wrong with that. All right, we got to be a little harsher on the NFL because Vikings linebacker Antoine Williams sacked Jaguars quarterback Cody Kessler in a game. Perfect defensive sack, but Williams was flagged for roughing the passer because of the new rule with how a tackler is allowed to lean in. And his shoulder, I guess, was what caused the penalty. Uh, Look, I I want the NFL to be strict on leaning in with the head because that is dangerous. That's led to a lot of these head injuries that has caused a lot of lawsuits for retired NFL players. But we're seeing defenders in the preseason getting a lot of trouble because of good, clean tackles that they're used to making for years. And now the NFL is changing things up, and it's not very good for the game. This could be a great year for a lot of offenses because they're going to drop a lot of these penalties. And defensive players, they're either going to make a tackle that's illegal, and they're going to be penalized for it. Or they're going to think twice with their current stance and try to wrap up. Uh, the ball carrier and it's going to make it a little easier when you're second guessing like that in the split second which is a long time in the game of football because you got to be quick it's just going to make it a little easier for offensive players to either one draw that flag or two if defenders are trying to change their their motion in their body to make sure they're not committing a penalty well then maybe it makes it easier for the offensive player to just run past by him or maybe even break that tackle as they go on uh, Therese Paylor, formerly of the Kansas City Star, now with Yahoo Sports, wrote a column saying that defensive teams like the Chiefs and the Lions, who uh, weren't very good defensively last year, they could seriously struggle with this new rule. They really could. They really could. Eric Berry is known to hit like this. He's done that for many years with the Chiefs and did it in college with Tennessee. So what happens for defenses if offenses are going to draw these flags up and pick up automatic first downs, essentially. I think the NFL needs to reconsider this rule and just look at things and and what they should do to make it a little bit better for defensive players because I do think it's getting out of hand. Also something getting out of hand, NFL teams fighting another team during training camp practices. Media talk, uh, really, it's been huge with these uh, with these uh, training camp fights. And the, the discussion is, how do we reduce fights? My reaction is, yes, there is a heavily entertainment element when it comes to these fights in sports. They could be violent, but people are, entertain- are entertained by them. Same with police chases, just, just on a way more serious level with that. However, media outlets, they go on Facebook Live to air these chases as they are happening because they know people will watch because they are entertained by it. Uh, Even though it's on a more serious level, it doesn't take away from the fact that this is still, in some way, there is that entertainment level for these uh, people. Even if you're not a sports fan, you'll click on a link to this fight because you are enticed by it. If you see it on your Facebook or your Twitter, you're clicking on it because you want to see it. We all are enticed by that. But here is my takeaway. Why in the hell do football players fight other football players? Uh, Especially when they have pads and a helmet on. Shoving is one thing. But if you attempt to throw a punch, you're just going to hurt your hand, man. Why are you doing it? Unless you're Cortland Finnegan and you take off someone's helmet or if you're a keep to leave and you poke someone's eye through, uh, through through the face mask, which, by the way, that doing those things will lead to serious consequences from the league on that. But I, I see these football players throwing punches, and, they, and not just in these recent training camp fights, but over the years, and I, I'm thinking, why? Why are you punching someone's helmet? You're actually doing more damage to yourself than you are to their head. I mean, come on. 
And pushing and shoving, fine, one thing. I mean, eventually they know that coaches and players are going to get in the middle of that and break it up. But to throw a punch when someone's got pads and helmets on, okay, I mean, that that's a little out of line. I mean, there's a reason why in hockey, the, the, the players, when they want to throw throw down, they at least take off the gloves and, 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 the, and the helmet, and then they start going at it. There's a reason they do that in hockey. There's a reason for that. Let's go out of bounds. Sticking to the subject of fights, uh, a fight uh, broke out at a golf club in Massachusetts, resulting in a 47-year-old getting arrested after allegedly biting another man's finger off during the fight. The biter was then taken to jail. The article doesn't indicate what caused the fight. It it just mentions that there were two groups of four uh, people, uh, four friends, family members, whoever they could be, and they just went at it all of a sudden. Uh, I will say, if anyone ever tries to jump you, and if you're in a bad position, bite them if you can. Uh, If you are in position to bite them, and if your life depends on it, if someone's wanting to beat you up, and you don't want to get physically hurt, well then, yeah, sure, bite away. I mean, I I, I don't care. I actually did that once in elementary school. This this kid who was much taller than me, I've never shared this story before. This kid who was much taller than me had me backed up against the wall. I don't know what he wanted with me. I don't really remember that part. Well, what I do remember is he had a sleeveless shirt on, and I bit the guy right on the shoulder. And as, as soon as I let go, and I bit pretty hard, like, almost like a zombie on The Walking Dead, uh, he, had, he was starting to bleed, and I took off right then and there. So listen, so listen talking from experience, if you got to do it, then do it. Uh, by the way, we do have a, a listener, a long-time listener, by the way. Uh, uh, his name is Steve. He's a police officer in Massachusetts. I don't know if uh, if he was the guy who made the arrest. I, I don't know. Maybe we could ask him about this later. But uh, yeah, I, I don't remember what part of Massachusetts this happened in. But uh, yeah, fights are happening now on, on football fields, at, at golf courses. I, I don't know what could have led to a fight on a golf course. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's New England New England residents with different fan bases who got into a fight. I mean, who knows? But it led to one guy losing his finger. By the way, we're going to stick on the topic of fights because in honor of the 40th anniversary of the movie Animal House a food fight broke out during a St. Paul Saints baseball game in Minnesota not a real fight this is of course staged but 8,000 people in ponchos involved in a massive food fight it's always great when fans come together with when they do the wave or they do the chant uh, they chant the same thing at a stadium but when fans get together like this and have an organized food fight. Hey, look, it's even better. It's cooler. Everyone had ponchos on, so no one in the end really could have complained about all of this. That had to be a really cool thing. And if you haven't seen it, go look this up on YouTube. Just type St. Paul Saints Baseball Food Fight. It's pretty cool. And everyone in attendance looked like they had the time of their life uh, doing this, participating in this. Has to be one of the cooler things that, that, that I have seen in sports. Last thing I want to touch on, uh, I'm sure you all all heard about the incident at Maryland uh, involving head coach DJ Durkin uh, under fire and placed on administrative leave after Maryland is currently being investigated for mid-toxic culture allegations against the team after the death of uh, a player, Jordan McNair, an offensive lineman. And one of the interesting things that was brought up is the fact that offensive linemen were forced to do 110-yard sprints in the heat. 
no cooling stations in there. They never checked for his temperature. Uh, he uh, was sent to the hospital uh, and had a 106-degree fever, and unfortunately, he eventually died. Uh, the strength and conditioning coach for Maryland has resigned, uh, DJ Durkin. By the way, it's not like uh, by the way, I said Duncan earlier. I meant to say Durkin. DJ Durkin is 11 and 15 in his coaching career. Is this guy trying to fire up his players? Because if, if, that, if that's his attempt, he's doing it wrong. 11 and 15 as a coach, and he has these grueling practice regiments that he's forcing his players to go through. He's served under Urban Meyer, Will Muschamp, uh, John, uh, Jim Harbaugh. I almost said John Harbaugh. Uh, I don't know where Durkin learned these practices. Uh, I don't know if any of these coaches that I just mentioned, if they're being investigated, wondering if this is where he learned it from. I guarantee, I mean, you look at some of the more successful coaches in sports. Are they having their players go through these kinds of barbaric practices? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. Uh, but remember in 2009, after KU, after leading KU to wins in the Orange Bowl and the Inside Bowl, Mark Mangino was under a lot of fire during KU's 0 and 6 ending to 2009, and during that losing streak, a couple of former players came out revealing that Mangino had his players go through some uh, so, some really dangerous practices, and eventually that was a big reason for his exit at KU. A lot of times when big name. Celebrities, players, coaches go uh, through a crazy decline, such as losses or, or something bad in their life. More negative actions and activities from their past will come up. Uh, you see this a lot with uh, uh, with candidates when they're running for president. Uh, and I'm not referring to just Donald Trump. I know he had a lot of that. But even uh, George Bush, uh, Obama, uh, and anyone else that's ran for president over the years... Uh, all these negative stories about their past comes up, uh, trying to use that against them uh, when they're trying to run for president. So we see this a lot uh, in society. We really do. Um, but in sports, we generally hear it when someone's going through a losing streak like this. I don't know exactly why an offensive lineman has to do a 110-yard sprint. I don't know what... An offensive lineman can accomplish or learn in doing that. Maybe you have them go through like a 20 or 30 yard sprint because they may need to run fast down the field at certain occasions, but maybe not 110 yards. I, I think that's what you put through some of your receivers or running backs. And maybe you don't know, you, you be cautious and you don't do that in the heat at the very least. Uh, I'm not too familiar with their practice facilities and what they have access to but again there were no cooling stations that's another thing to consider here and water is an important part for athletes there's a reason why every sports team has equipment managers and they're also responsible for making sure that they're they're liquid ready to go and handing handing these out to players when they're taking a, a timeout taking a break whatever the case is Especially in a sport like football where you are practicing in the heat a lot. In baseball, when you're out there in Arizona, when the Royals are there in Surprise, Arizona for spring training, I mean, gosh, it is hot down there. So that's why you have your equipment managers and a big part of their duty is to have water ready for these players uh, whenever they want them. So uh, this coach should should certainly be out and his parents have said, and I know their parents, of course, they're heartbroken about this, obviously, but they're saying that he should never coach football again. And I 100% agree with that statement. Especially when you put your players through something like this. You're not even a, a, a high-level coach and you're making your players do this. 
that's despicable and it's dangerous to these kids whose dreams of playing college football and maybe even pro football, uh, I mean, this is what ends up happening to them. And this should never be the case for any football player, any athlete, that's especially at the collegiate level. Time to throw some penalty flags. Jalen Ramsey went off uh, blasting a bunch of quarterbacks, basically giving his opinion on almost every single quarterback. He didn't mention anything about Pat Mahomes nor Alex Smith, although he did say damn when he did see that uh, Mahomes pass, so he finally did have an opinion about Mahomes. But for other quarterbacks, when he was talking about Colin Kaepernick and how he should have a job in the NFL, he talked about Matt Ryan, called him overrated, doesn't like Andrew Luck, Joe Flacco, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, he thinks is overrated. Uh, a few others that he had a so, some strong choice of words for. Uh, and listen, uh, these quarterbacks were asked about it, and a lot of them just kind of brushed it off like they didn't even care. Uh, and why would they? Uh, but listen, Jalen Ramsey, I mentioned this just last week with Kelvin Benjamin. Do not burn bridges. You never know. Listen, the, the Jaguars, if they ever want to trade Jalen Ramsey one day, they're not going to be cautious of the teams that he badmouthed, their, their quarterback. Uh, they're going to do what's best for their team. And if they want to trade him to the Colts, well, then he's going to enter an environment where he's going to go into a locker room and he may not have the warmest welcome because of his comments for Andrew Luck. You never know if you get traded or signed by any of these teams. And, you know, here's the other thing, because this is just how karma works. Ramsey just went off on all of these quarterbacks. Just watch. Jalen Ramsey is going to get burned by some of them this season and all of these words they're going to come back to bite him not a smart idea for Jalen Ramsey remember Todd Haley yes the same Todd Haley who was the head coach of the Chiefs for just a little less than three years he yelled at the Browns defensive players saying quote good teams don't touch the effing quarterback now of course he said the full term But Brown's defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, shouted back at Todd Haley, saying, quote, block them then. And then head coach Hugh Jackson, he brushed it off, saying, you know, he loves the fire in both of those guys and that they're fine. Uh, But I don't know, man. Listen, I know Todd Haley may be disliked by a lot of people out there uh, in the NFL, as well as by fans, but he's right. Listen, go hard. Go hard and practice, but not to the point where you hurt your own teammates, especially the quarterback. There's a reason why quarterbacks wear a different color jersey in practice. Generally, a much brighter color. There's a reason for that, and Todd Haley has a point. And listen, I, I mean, this Browns defense, uh, you want to talk about pra- what you go through in practice? Uh, you don't put a hand on the quarterback. I mean, that's the guy that you protect the most. There's a reason for the the fact that they wear brighter jerseys. I don't know exactly why the Browns went 0-16, but maybe I'm starting to wonder why. I mean, are they trying to injure their own quarterbacks? Is that why they go through so many quarterbacks every single season? I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to come up with with an idea, but I'm with Todd Haley on this one. Final one, we talked about the uh, incident with former Ohio State assistant Zach Smith uh, and the uh, alleged report of him uh, abusing his wife. 
some very weird reports have come out from Brett McMurphy of ESPN, who's been all over this story. Uh, apparently, Zach Smith took nude photos when Ohio State took a trip to the White House. And he also had sex toys delivered to the football facility. I'm not sure what either of those have to do or if they have any connections to him and the abuse that he's been allegedly uh, responsible for. Uh, But even so, uh, this is a very, very disturbing story. Uh, Not exactly sure what's going to happen to Zach Smith or even Urban Meyer in this case. But man, uh, I mean, now that I mentioned this earlier with the Mark Mangino thing, making that comparison, when bad things happen to you, all kinds of negative stories will come out. And this is just not a good position for Zach Smith to be in. First of all, why are you taking nude photos at the White House of all places? Um, Why are you even taking nude photos, especially in in a year now where you know, any picture that you have out there could easily be picked up by someone else, especially if you share it with someone else. I, I mean, you just never want that to be out there. And for whatever reason, at the White House of all places, he does this. Um, and then the, the, the story with the toys. I mean, what's what's happening there? Why are you having that delivered to the football facility? Of all places. I mean, look, whatever you want to do with that, that's your own business. But to have it be delivered to you at your workplace, uh, I, I think that could lead to a termination. Obviously, uh, he's, he's a former assistant, so it's not like he can get fired now. But looking back at it, uh, this does look bad at uh, Ohio State. And you kind of wonder why was something like this allowed to be delivered to a workplace, to a football facility? Uh, and, uh, I mean, you think of what happened with... Um, with Penn State and everything that happened with former defensive coordinator Jerry Sandusky, I'm not accusing Zach Smith of anything. Uh, I'm not saying he did or did not, but the the fact that there's a report about you know having these things delivered to the facility, it, it kind of makes you wonder why was that happening? What did he do with those toys? Um, this is a very very disturbing story. It really is. It has taken a completely weird turn. Um, uh, listen, uh, abuse like this, it's a very serious thing, and I mentioned this before, it's got to be handled. I don't know what the punishment's going to be for Ohio State right now. Are you going to ban them from future bowl games? Uh, having eligibility for bowl games? Are you going to vacate wins? Because to me, that's not a punishment. It's really not. Um, I know they did that with Penn State, and to me, that did, that, that was nothing. You, I mean, you're, you're punishing current uh, coaches and players for something they were not even a part of. So I don't even know what the NCAA will will do with this, but this is a very disturbing story, and you've got to have some sort of serious consequence come down on Zach Smith because eh, nothing good is happening with him right now. Uh, there's no case for this guy to be innocent or to be in the good, and uh, I, I just would not want to be this guy, especially right now with all of the things that uh, is coming up, coming out about him. Not very good at all. If you guys enjoyed this episode, appreciate you guys downloading and listening. Spread the word. Let your friends know. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit the share button on iTunes and Google Play. You guys can interact with me on social media. Follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash and Hit the like button on there. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Plus email me, Farzine at Farzinevesugian.com. A big thanks to you guys once again for downloading and listening to the episode. The next Chiefs game will be this Saturday, so we'll have a podcast out on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. And then we will have a recap podcast out 
next Monday, so a little more than a week from now. So be on the lookout for that. We will have Matt Connor of Arrowhead Addict on the podcast. He will help us recap that third and significant preseason game. And it'll give us a a pretty good look uh, as to what we could expect from the Chiefs in 2018. We will discuss that and much more on the next couple of episodes. So be on the lookout for that. Big thanks to you guys once again for downloading and listening. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a good week. Talk to you later.